Do you like ghosts, cryptids, celestial beings, and witchcraft? Then you'll likely find us tolerable. We are a pair of best witches approaching the paranormal in this realm and beyond with respectful and curious nature. We love to weave within the weird. So So let's get frightfully delightful. We are ever grateful for the opportunities to share space with, learn from, work with, listen, and hold witness the people, ancestors, matriarchs, spirits, and creatures, past and present, whose stewardship and cultural teachings have brought life to the lands upon which we dwell. May we all do our part as uninvited guests to ensure that the land is stewarded and led by its rightful guardians and spirits. Luna resides on the traditional lands of the First Peoples of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation. These lands are covered under the Williams Treaties and rest within the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg. The land, sea, sky, and spirit that Amanda resides within is vast and deep Stalo Coast Salish traditional territory. The area upon which she lives, learns, unlearns, and tells her stories within is stewarded and cared for by the Chilwayak people. Hello, Luna. <laughs> Hello, Amanda. How are you this unseasonably warm October day? It has been unseasonably warm, but I'm pretty good. I am a box of bees. But I'm pretty good. <laughs> the box of bees is very strong, I feel like, with both of us today. Like, it's to the point where I don't even acknowledge that the box of bees has happened. I just, like, it's it's just a swarm. <laughs> We're just in just it. Just living in it, yeah. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm very excited for... So my delight would be, I'm very excited to talk about personal folklore and everything that comes with that mm-hmm. and reading our community ghost sub- uh, submissions. I'm yeah. really, really excited for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying not to be cranky about the heat and just absorbing what October wants to give us. Yeah. Yeah. it will probably be cold and rainy and snowy before we know it so should we share share a little bit of frights and delights before we get into our ghost story yeah what's your fright okay so just like last episode it's spooky phone related last week when we were doing our spooky phone live and we were doing our Estes Method session. It was the first one we had done since after the great the, fire, the double, the, the great double fire fiasco <laughs> of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so I was downstairs in my kitchen for this one, and I'm sitting in front of my altar, and while I was in the Estes Method, something kept touching me like it was in between me my chair 
and my, where my altar is. So physically, there's, there's not nothing a lot of space. that could <laughs> yeah. fit there. And there was nothing there. No cats, no animals, no nothing that I could see. But while we were doing the session, something kept like grabbing at my arm. And it felt like kind of the way it would feel if someone walked over to you and like ran their fingers down your side. Like a pet. Yeah. And it was really weird. And then I, I remember saying something about it was under, under the under the under chair. the chair. Yeah, it was, and that's when I was like, nope. nope. Yeah, because it <laughs> it's funny too because like the build up to that was definitely like it definitely felt a little eerie, right? And yeah, I understand that that was your like tap out, you know, <laughs> like literally, yeah. like I'm done. Yeah, because I kept saying, please, no touching. Don't don't touch me, please. You can talk to me. Talk through the headphones. Yeah. You can converse, yeah, but please don't don't touch. No physical touch, thank you. And it was just like I don't give a fuck what your boundaries are, <laughs> and it kept touching me. And then I had had enough when I heard through the the spirit box something about being under the chair, and I was like, okay, no thanks. <laughs> Do whatever this is. <laughs> I'll I'll share a piece of the transcript um, that says that because it was yeah okay. it was pretty it was pretty pointed <laughs> yeah very pointed yeah yeah do you have any frights you kind of mentioned delight I did mention a delight my fright what would my fright be I had something I know I had something this is like this is like a minor fright. I had a dream yesterday morning and you know when you like have like a good sleep during the night and then you wake up and then you fall back asleep and it's almost like your dreams get like more vivid in that like kind of morning realm. I don't know if anybody else has that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I had a very vivid dream about Brian and I and our family being at a market, but it was an outdoor autumn market. And it had like a Halloween town kind of like vibe. It was just, uh, it was very like, very muted, but like the pumpkins were like a very, like very burnt orange. And the, um, some of the pumpkins were like, black and like a mottled green and like just really like all the colors that I love for fall like really rusty rusty and kind of like weathered and there was this massive tree and the pumpkins were growing on the tree so like they were just like hanging in this like sprawl of like massive branches I don't even know what type of tree this would even be because it was like, it was like a willow, like a big like willow, like that thick trunk. Yeah. And it sprawled up and then it hung, like the leaves hung over, but it wasn't like a willow in that it had strands of leaves. It had like, I guess, semi-thin like, uh, like branches that would hang down and then the foliage was very like full yeah and like leafy like really leafy and it was a mix of like mossy green and like a really deep like ev like um forest uh, like green yeah and so 
I remember looking at this tree and being like, this is like, if my heart had like an image, that would be it. Because it was like (laughs) so awe-inspiring and it felt so old and it felt so enchanting and awe-inspiring. And I remember thinking like, I really don't want to take a picture of this. And then I looked over and our familial altar was, it was um, in like a, in a section of where the market was. So like a stall, it was in a stall. Okay. And somebody had painted the top of it silver, like a tin man silver. And I remember going over and being like, we let you borrow this, but we at no point said that you could paint it. Why did you do that? And then I, I was just, and the person was like, very apologetic, but like, very, oh, oops, you know, kind of like, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And then I just couldn't believe like, I was like, how could you not know that? You know? Yeah. (laughs) So that, uh, that's where I, and that's where my dream ended was me being very irritated with this person. But I remember before I woke up, I had a small feeling of guilt that I was irritated with this person. Hmm. I know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, if if you're going to paint something that someone lent you, you should ask first. No kidding. I know. You know? Well, I know that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly this person did not. No. It was clearly their first rodeo. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready to get spooky? I'm so ready. Okay, do you want me to tell you what mine is first? Okay. Okay. So, I am a folkloric witch. A folklorist with no degree and a witch with no pedigree, which to some is highly offensive and to others only bolsters my credentials. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unsure of where my love of folklore really came from. You know, as a child, perhaps my first bout of hyperfixation that was appropriate for my, you know, assignage as female, perhaps. Either way, my lifelong hyperfixation on words, tales, stories, metaphysics, and ghosts is going to be a treat for your ears today. So, uh, folklorists go into communities, neighborhoods, and people's homes to do their work. This is sometimes called field work, which is hilarious because that field guide for our cryptid yeah <laughs> unveiling is like perfectly in line with this and how appropriate sometimes you know you just fucking fall into shit you know <laughs> documentation of traditional ways is done using a variety of techniques some of the ways they document their findings is making notes and then writing up observations making audio recordings of music or performances or interviews with tradition bearers taking still photographs or making videotapes. So we're basically folklorists. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like making notes and writing observations, we are literally recording audio right now. So we are performing folklore. Mm -hmm. We are creating folklore right now. So in a description from the New Hampshire website um, called Folk Life, it would seem we are all folklorists to some degree. They also say folklorists study and document traditional ways of doing things, which include ways of making crafts, 
playing music and dancing, working, telling stories, jokes, or celebrating important stages of life. So there is a website called whatisfolklore.org. Yes, it's (laughs) true. And it asked folklorists to explain folklore in their own words. This is what Barbo Klein had to say in their book, uh, Folklore, International Encyclopedia of the Social and Behavioral Sciences. This was volume eight, and it was produced in 2001, and it is from page 5,711 to 5,715. Wow. Folklore has four basic meanings. First, it denotes oral narration, rituals, crafts, and other forms of vernacular expressive culture. Second, folklore or folklorists names an academic discipline devoted to the study of such phenomena. Third, in everyday usage, folklore sometimes describes colorful folkloric phenomena. It could be linked to music, tourist, and fashion industries, so like the, um, those sectors within like a community. And fourth, like myth, folklore can also mean falsehood. So I first discovered um, this website called the BC Folklore Society when I was investigating and researching why the fuck Cultus Lake, a very popular tourist and staycation destination for folks from the lower mainland, it always felt different and either us as mayonnaise colored people weren't supposed to be there or like something else. Like there was just, it. I, I, sometimes I would say it was off, but off isn't quite the word for it. There's just, it's almost like it, there's just something either missing or there that you're not supposed to be witness to. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is what their slogan is on their website. The British Columbia Folklore Society to collect and preserve the traditional and contemporary folk life and folklore of the people of British Columbia. So I have emailed them a couple times to ask if they would consider changing some of the language within their website as it is very dated. But as of today's date, I have not heard back. There will be links to all the sites. Anyways, so discovering their website was my first kind of acknowledgement of like, hey, like what you're feeling in this area isn't wrong. It's not, you know, it's not just you. So in Chinook, cultist means worthless, bad, broken, unreliable, meaningless, dishonest, or used up. This is a complete oversimplification of a very vast and intensely interesting indigenous traditional uh, values, as well as uh, history and metaphysics. Though the Chinook word cultist has remained, the the lake's name is Suilcha. It means an empty basin that quickly filled with water or somebody died. The power of the lake comes from the Tsa'alukums, supernatural beings that inhabit its depths and were a significant part of the training needed to become a Stalo First Nations doctor. This is according to Tourism Chilliwack, they noted that so many trainees visited the lake that over time, that pow- the power of the lake became used up. Again, an oversimplification. So the above seems very trivial compared to my favorite piece of research into the lake. Not just cultists, but like the lakes and the interconnectedness of the lore 
of the Stalo lands and the deep lore that resides within the spirits of First Nations people and the land itself. Margaret Robbins, a UVic student whose piece is titled Center from Which Underground Passages Radiate, Understanding Metaphysical Tunnels in Stalo Spirituality, Spiritual Geography, and uh, it is part of an ethno field, ethno history field school study in 2009. This PDF is 34 pages long, and I, I often return to it for not only um, my own education, but to see how things are documented. And like it is a, it is a, it is an academic piece, but it has so much rich texture that it, I feel like it balances academics with metaphysics. And it's just, it is, it is perfection in my, in my experience. <laughs> it is a marvelous read and it documents a wide and experiential connection to the landscape and those who tend it. So on page 28, uh, Margaret says, maps historically have served Western purposes of conquering and claiming indigenous space. Even when scientifically inaccurate, they were powerful tools. They superimposed European understandings of space into both the physical and supernatural landscape. Maps are symbolic of colonization through a reimagination of space. They are not and have never been unemotional and sterile images of physical environment. They are the visualizations of a cultural space, a way of organizing and representing environment, combining memory, imagination, and physical space. Making maps of the tunnel stories is an exercise in reclamation of physical and mental space in the Fraser Valley. Throughout the territory known to the Stalo as Sashtmuk, in the lower Fraser Valley, subterranean tunnels connect disparate locations. Sashtmuk means our land or um, earth land world. It is used um, as in this is our land, not theirs. I have a resource for the digital linguistics if you if and that'll be shared in the show notes as well the tunnels may or not physically exist in what we might understand as a literal or corporeal way their physical truth does not matter christopher tilly argues the real world is perceived is a is the perceived world is the phenomenal world what people believe about the places that they inhabit imbues them with meaning and it is that meaning that inspires their actions and beliefs about themselves and their environment the tunnel stories reveal cultural, literary, and spiritual truths about Sashtmuk, and it is these truths that are the interest of this project. The contemporary stories recounted by elders and their peers and the tunnels of the lakes is, it almost always results in death, but there is, there is a whole bunch of different aspects that are um, mentioned in the 34 pages. It, it like literally, please go read it. It is amazing. Margaret goes on to explore some compelling metaphysical properties of tunnels by compiling stories from varying Indigenous folks. It is, in my opinion, I will say again, 34 pages of perfection. On page 14, we are introduced to Cultus Lake. It was a place where people wanting to gain power to become doctors went for weeks at a time. Because of this, it was called a cultus place. Mrs. Cooper said, it's bad in Chinook. Cultus could also be translated as worthless in reference to a decrease in the potency of the lake when too many people attempted to harness its power. These translations suggest both the power and the hazard located there, and tunnels are an integral part of what makes it a cultus place. 
The story of the formation of Cultus Lake itself is a tunnel story. If you would like to read the full compiling and prose, it will be linked in the show notes. There is a title of person called a landscape phenomenologist. Phenomenology is a subsection of archaeology, the application of sensory experiences to view and interpret an archaeological site or cultural landscape in the past. It is a hotly debated and criticized area, even amongst the early phenomenologists who rejected virtual data gathering as opposed to embodied experiences. (laughs) So like, if you want to create like a digital map, these fucking guys would be like, absolutely not. You go out there and you walk the land. (laughs) That's the only legitimate thing to do. And it's like they're you just can't win. <laughs> and I chalk all of this knowledge up to my ever-balanced Libra energy to find the imbalances in fucking everything I research. Like, there, I can never get a straight goddamn answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that ghost stories and folklore are also considered a key component in learning? Really? Uh-huh. So says James Thurgill, whose thesis is named Ghostly Voices, a critical approach to narratives of folklore and ghost stories in the language learning classroom. He quotes Italo Calvino from Calvino's writings, The Uses of Literature, aptly named. So the quote goes, myth is the hidden part of every story, the buried part, the region that is unexplored because there as yet no words to enable us to get there. Mm hmm. That brings me to personal folklore. Every season has a theme for me. You know, there's like a time, like there's a time for, you know, what is it like a there's a song like like a really old song that comes to mind, but I can't quite picture it or hear it. Anyways, (laughs) October is always the time of year that I start to write more, read more and contemplate the abyss. Even if it weren't the time I tumbled Earthside, I think October just hits differently. I have never met anyone who didn't like October. For me, this October is about personal folklore and how words shape existences. Folklore enlivens our senses and brings us deeper into our awareness of ourselves, within ourselves, the communities in which we live, and the ground upon which we tread. Folklore teaches us allows us to explore and helps us understand where we have come from and where we want to go, what to avoid and what to dive headfirst into. Tales spun from our personal experiences breathe life into our very essence. From the smallest daydreams of our future to the grandest sagas of our ancestors, in blood and by choice, we are but storytellers, weaving the threads of our lives with golden, sometimes dismal tales of lore. We are also listeners, Childlike specters listening to the whispers of the past through tales of folks gone before. So, for my personal folk tale, I ask you, Luna, have you heard of Obscure October? No. (laughs) What is that? The tale goes that every 13 years, October's undercurrent of adventure and curiosity turns. No gentle ghost stories, no apple cider, no pumpkin patches. Obscure October is at hand when you wake up on October 1st and the world isn't golden, but a putrid sepia. It is said that the world morphs into a realm of desolation, as if the very scent of despair wreaks havoc upon your olfactory. You won't know you are within Obscure October's realm. 
for time has no meaning and a forgotten feeling permeates through everything. There is a thing. There is a thing you are missing, but you just don't know. In this forgotten time where existence has lost its meaning, the world trudges along like molasses in a very cold cup, barely moving at all. Dim. Obscure October is a mysteriously dim force, neither living nor dead, neither feeling nor memory. The closest that it can be described as is an echo, perhaps. It pervades cities, towns, and landscapes. It twists streets before your very eyes. But when you look closer, it just slides out of focus. Its presence haunting, but never knowing what we are haunted by. The obscured October haunts this world until the end of time. For its essence is as nebulous as the, as the mist, its purpose completely shrouded. It seems to dwell dormant in hollow places surrounded by gnarled trees and twisted branches, and no one knows how it wakes. The knowing comes on the 13th day of October, when you go for a walk to try to stomp the melancholy out. You notice the trees in the park the sidewalks twisting before your eyes again, but this time the tree-lined walkway doesn't slide out of focus when you try to look at it. You see clearly just what is happening. The roots of the thick trees slithering like serpents. It is said that a wash of knowing comes just on this day, only to be gone by bedtime the next half of obscure October. But for this one day, Obscure October lets you ponder it. It is rumored that during this day, Obscure October becomes a spectral embodiment of despair, of every single person, place, and thing who dwells within the limits of the town, city, or landscape. Despair that wanders with the leaves, casting an eerie pall over everything it touches, spreading like whispers on the wind. And then, on November 1st, The timeless and forgotten obscure October has receded, gliding with purpose like mist over a mountain. Those 31 days of wretched disenchantment gone in a blink. You awake to shimmering rain upon your window, magnificent ruddy red trees, and a crispness to your vision. Your body and soul breathe a sigh of relief, a relief that is puzzling to your mind. For obscure October leaves no trace, but the soul remembers what the mind cannot, and the body and soul know that there are 12 more wonderful Octobers ahead of you for this one obscurity. Wow. Wow. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, I would be so sad if... (laughs) (laughs) I know. Having to experience an October like that, it's literally my favorite month. I know. And that's what <laughs> that's why I wanted to make one that was like a little like shitty, you know, yeah. like not every folklore has like a hero or, you know, yeah. like and what like I wanted to think of like what would happen if October was like shitty. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's then that's what came out is that like this is how i would perceive october being shitty so that is that is my personal folklore i loved it thank you also i really loved the folklore about cultus lake too good i'm really glad like very interesting and fascinating and like did when did you take me there exactly we went by there did we not you went by yeah yeah it does it does have a a very uh, a weird feeling there Uh that area it does very interesting i'm gonna have to read that i have a big list of a big list of show notes so i'm happy to share all of the all of the sighting and the resources thank you anytime i love how in your in the um your personal folklore on your birthday is the moment that you you get to, <laughs> you could you have that one little slice of seeing yeah. things for <laughs> for what they are yeah. yeah but you don't even know like, yeah and then it you, just disappears yeah there's no there's no time to like actually like formulate how you would feel about it or yeah. what it even means yeah no time to process just just doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i love how it's every 13 years and then on the 13th day (laughs) yeah perfect thank you perfection perfect 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 thank you so much thank you thank you for listening (laughs) tell me a ghost story luna okay um (laughs) (laughs) okay i i have so you would think that with what we do and what we're interested in, I would have tons and tons of <laughs> ghost stories under my belt, but I don't really. You know what's you know what's so funny is that I said something similar to what you're saying. Yeah. In our cryptid episode. Yeah. Like the black eyed children wouldn't come like we you and I would never experience it. Because we talk about it, we acknowledge it, we, you know, things just are for us. And so that it make that makes sense. Yeah. And like, that's not to say I don't have like weird experiences. It's also not to say that I haven't like, okay, so the story I'm going to share is like a ghost sighting that I've had. Okay. And so typically the way that I experience potential ghosts or spirits is more in um like hearing mm-hmm. or knowing mm-hmm. or feeling mm-hmm. um, those kind of clear senses if you want to get into that. But this particular story I'm going to share with you is I actually saw what I think is a, is a spirit. Or what seemed to be like a ghost. So this happened, I don't know, more than more than 10 years ago now. Like probably like 10 or 11, maybe 12 years ago. I was moving from my hometown. And I was moving into an area of Toronto. For like Toronto, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And I was moving with myself and my my son was very young at the time. It was just me and him. 
and we were to live in a house. We were going to rent a house in Toronto with a couple of friends, a couple of my friends. So altogether, there was supposed to be myself and three other adults and my son. So pretty full house. (laughs) (laughs) And so as I was moving from my hometown to this new place, I had a couple of friends helping me with the moving truck because I don't drive. So I had someone to drive my moving truck. And we get to the house and I arrive before my roommates did. Okay. So I uh, we unload the truck, bring all my stuff inside. And besides my stuff, the house is pretty much empty. Like there's no people there. Like it was just me okay. and a couple of my friends. And my son was like staying at family's house. So my friend who was driving the moving truck is like, I have to go return the truck. You stay here, basically. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, my roommates should be arriving anytime. I'm just going to hang out here. So I see them off in the driveway. I turn. I go to go inside the house. And so the way the layout is, is there's the front door. And as soon as you walk through the front door... You are in the living room. Okay. So it's like it opens out into the living room and then to your right, you go through like an archway and there's the dining room. Is it a a rancher? No, it's like, um, it's just like one level and then there's an upstairs and it had a basement. So you walk through the front door, you're in the living room Mm -hmm. and it kind of opens out into the left. In the living room is I had brought a couch and there was some boxes in there. Not a whole lot. It was pretty empty. But as I walked through the front door, I see a figure of a person go from the very corner of the living room and across the living room and then through the the far wall. And I thought it was my roommate, my one roommate, Toby. And I was like, oh, Toby, I didn't know you were here. You startled me. And then it took a second for things to like register in my brain. There's no one here. I'm the only person here. No one else is here. Toby is on his way. And from where the person, where I saw the person, it was like the corner of the living room. And they went through the fucking wall (laughs) on the other side. How? (laughs) That's not how human bodies work. And all the hairs stood up on my arms and neck. And I was like, shit, no thank you, nope. That's not how human bodies work. I turned right around, went back outside, and I sat on the porch. And I called my roommate and I was like, when are you going to be here? He's like, I'm almost there, (laughs) like half hour. And I literally, I just sat on the porch (laughs) until he showed up because I was so scared to go back in the house by myself and it's weird because after that I we never had there was there was never anything overly weird I mean we were a bunch of weirdos living in a house together and got up to all kinds of shenanigans but that's fun (laughs) but there was never any other like ghostly things so I don't know what what it was if it was just like you know, someone hanging out there and I scared them off. But it was the it's the only time I've actually I've visually seen a spirit move th- through a space 
What did they look like? So they looked a lot like my roommate, Toby. Okay. He is fairly tall. He's like six foot tall. He always used to wear this like old, I don't know what they're called. They're like this old kind of cap. It's like this weird kind of style oh, cap. Like, like a like a newspaper boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old timey. New- oh. Yeah. So he used to always wear a hat like that. And mm-hmm. this this ghost had a hat like that. But the the apparition was like white-ish. And it was really okay. fast the way that it moved across the living room. And that's why, like, at first I thought, oh, that's just Toby. Because it's like, you know, same build, same height, similar hat. But then I realized, but Toby isn't, like, serial and white-ish. Like, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean? He's not, like, <laughs> see-through and, like, white cast. Like, it was just bizarre. And that's when my brain clicked and was like, oh, this isn't, <laughs> that's not your roommate. That's probably a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my ghost story that's fucking cool yeah it was it was scary and i didn't after that i didn't really like being alone in the house but again nothing else ever happened so either it was like an echo of my roommate perhaps or yeah or something because the house was empty for a while before we moved in so it could have just been a spirit that was like, ooh, empty space to hang out. And then I scared it away. <laughs> Good, yeah. So, and how long did you live there? Probably about a year. Not very long. And nothing else happened? No, nothing. Interesting. Yeah. You know what? I think that um, that reminds me of this, like, half-ass theory that I have. That houses that are empty of human living occupants are liminal spaces oh okay yeah okay yeah i like that i like where you're going with that i just sent you a really cute gift that i just made of you in church explaining your story okay and i'm gonna share it probably a thousand times to every single social media source every single one look at your cute little face (laughs) with your little sprout (laughs) <laughs> and i love that church is like moving like <laughs> you know like his head is like out. <laughs> he's listening to the ghost stories too i know he's yeah a good boy such a good boy that was such a good one thanks and yeah like i said like i've had tons of weird stuff happen spooky yeah. stuff but never have i seen like an apparition like that I'm not a clairvoyant person. Like I don't see. That's yeah. not how I really interact with with the that kind of stuff. I, right. it, it's more like it, a lot. My strongest like clairs, I guess, would be like clairsentience or clair. Um, what's the one where it's there's knowing and feeling. Yeah, I forget exactly. I know one is clairsentience. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I'm practicing my clairvoyance, but in that in the practice of clairvoyance, you can really get like tripped up on your own like am I fucking seeing shit? Yeah. So I'm kind of caught in that like in that loop, so I have kind of like backed off of that a little bit. Like I can I can utilize clairvoyance in 
Sterling Moon's teachings of like the mind room capacity. Like I can, I can build, I can build that in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And clairvoyance doesn't always have to be like physical sight. It can be mind sight, right? So I'm, I'm focusing on building that and then hoping for, you know, hoping if I build like a strong uh, mind's eye space and practice that, that might open me up for like more apparition type experiences yeah however ryan sees shit all the time and sometimes like he doesn't even tell me i'll have to like check in with him like hey have you seen anything recently and he'll be like "Mm, yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh claire audience is definitely something that's very loud for me and <laughs> clairsentience and claircognizance for sure. And there is this weird manifestation that has happened. And I told you about this yesterday that I was doing something, I was preparing for something, like something very intense, some very intense working that I researched for days I you know got everything cleaned organized planned I was like literally just about to start like the actual like spell work and then I was walking past my I like I walked out of the room past my desk and a book fucking flew off the shelf and it was also a paranormal book yeah that happens to you a lot apparently twice yeah that's (laughs) happened twice now and the first one was at Phoenix, caught on fucking tape. Yeah. And it was Sterling Moon's book. And this one was J. Allen Cross's The Organ Witch. Um, it was their book, which is Guide to Paranormal Investigation. And so I did some like scriptomancy, you know, like, okay, what do I need to know in this book? Nothing. And then I looked at the rest of my bookshelf and consorting with spirits was very like bright it was like very bright Mm -hmm. so i picked it up and i did scriptomancy there and there was um a pretty intense message from somebody that i work with and then i did some divination and sure as shit like it was a it was like a fucking slap to the face yeah like why are you doing all this effort for this thing yeah why so that was (laughs) That was something, I guess, spooky. Books fly off the shelf. That's how you know shit get, is like shit serious for me is when books fly off shelves. Yeah. <laughs> like someone is trying to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, like pay the fuck attention. <laughs> Shall we read some listener stories? Yeah. Um, okay. We have some awesome submissions and some of them we're going to be reading ourselves. Some of them our listeners are going to tell in their own voice. So we're going to get into it. <laughs> hope this everybody is- enjoys. Yeah. Our first submission is from our beloved Friday, Dylan. He is such a wonderful, frightfully delightful community member. We got to share space with him this time last year. And um, he has some really, really cool uh, stories. And sometimes he'll he'll send um, little like s- scary notes to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's just a delight. So Dylan's stories start like this. 
My first story is my mom's, although I am a part of it. When I was around the age of two, my mom had put me to bed in the crib, which was still in their master bedroom. She woke up in the night and saw what she felt was my deceased grandfather standing over my crib. She said she froze in fear and he just vanished into thin air. Maybe a dream or sleep deprivation, maybe my grandfather. I have a similar story about my daughter, though. At a similar age, about two or three, my daughter started randomly singing an Afrikaans nursery rhyme. Well, the problem with this is that she was born in Canada, and at the time we spoke almost exclusively English to her, and my wife's Afrikaans isn't great. She is English-speaking South African, and I certainly did not teach her that. She would have had zero exposure to it, as my mom is the only Afrikaans speaker in my immediate family, and she is still in South Africa. A few months later, I asked her if she wanted to go play outside, and she replied in fluent Afrikaans, Ni nau ni papa. Not now, Daddy. When my wife was pregnant, I kept smelling my grandmother's perfume. She was Afrikaans. She used to sing me that nursery rhyme. I can only believe that my Oma was looking over her. So sweet. That is so sweet. Uh, so I don't know. I don't think you got a chance to meet Dylan's kid. No. When, no. But they are like a delight. <laughs> I do remember um, that they sent you like a little voice memo yeah. on your birthday and it was so yeah. precious. Yeah, they sang me happy birthday and I cried because it was so fucking precious. And they will always be my favorite metal singer because <laughs> hot chocolate for breakfast is my favorite song <laughs> and it will always be true. Okay. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> yeah. When I moved to Vancouver, I worked in a recording studio in Hastings Sunrise. It was a very old building that at one point was a bowling alley. The lane marks were still faintly present on the oak floors. Uh, side note, that is so fucking cool. Anyway, there were a lot of weird things that happened there. Doors opening and closing. We blamed the air conditioning. Stuff going missing and turning up in very obvious places that we definitely looked before. I would hear voices every now and again. It was pretty soundproof, but we figured it must have been through an air vent, etc. Lots of stuff like that. We always tried to rationalize away. I had worked there for about six months, and the owner was moving to Kelowna, so I was picking up my gear, prepping to move out of the mix room. It was my last day, and I had to pick up my mother-in-law at the airport, so we went there super early in the morning, about 5 a.m., to pack the last few boxes and bid farewell to the space. My wife stayed in the car and I went up to get the last stuff. It was early. I was the only one there. I had unlocked the front door, turned off the alarm, and locked it behind me. Walked up the stairs and unlocked the mixing room. Just as I was about to open the door, I get a feeling like someone is standing to the left of me down the corridor. I turn and sure as shit, there is a guy standing at the end of the corridor in full military uniform. Duh. Oh, no, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't know why, but corridor is a fucking spooky word. <laughs> I'm a little confused as to why he's there. And I say to him, excuse me, I don't think you're supposed to be here. I barely finished my sentence and he dissolved to smoke. I was so freaked out. I ran to the end of the corridor to see what the hell was going on. There was no one to be found anywhere. I packed my stuff in lightning speed and GTFO'd. That's cut the fuck out of there. <laughs> I got to the car and my wife asked, you look like you've seen a ghost. Yeah. 
so good. And we do have um, a beautiful shout out that Dylan would like to showcase. So this is Tigger's Ark Cat Rescue, a nonprofit based a nonprofit rescue based in South Africa. He designs their merchandise as a donation, and they raise funds to feed and neuter via Threadless. There are some uh, designs that Dylan has shared, and we're going to share that in a post. Yeah. Uh, with our photo dump, we've got a lot of posts and coming these, this week. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but these designs he shared are amazing. Aren't they so sweet? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely adore Dylan and everything he does and creates. Like he's such a he's such a multifaceted uh, individual, and <laughs> I love how he expresses himself through life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the website that you can. It'll be linked, but we will just shout it out now. It is forward slash forward slash Tigger's Arc, T-I-G-G-E-R-S-A-R-K dot threadless dot com. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that shout out, Dylan. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the stories. Yeah, thank you so much for the stories. Very cool. I really like how a lot of people who have experience with like spirits and ghosts and things will have stories surrounding family. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, a family member comes in to check on your newborn baby or, you know, stories of small children having experiences with like grandparents that have passed or it just highlights that ancestral connection. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. It's such a deep one too, like to yeah. have it span, like to have it show up in Dylan's kids, like almost like a spiritual essence, you know? Yeah. Like singing and speaking fluently, like that's all just kind of like, you know, it's before they would even know that it would be weird, you know? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the, have you ever heard of those stories where like, small children talk about past lives yes and they like go into great detail about things that they shouldn't yes shouldn't have any concept of wild we should talk about that one day we should talk about that only if we can find more examples of like stories that aren't like war based because have you ever noticed that those stories are all like oh i went to the war and i came back from the war and it's like fuck okay (laughs) no i haven't i mean i know (laughs) i know of a few but like i i get what you're saying huh interesting yeah we'll have to look into that yeah okay up next we have our wonderful friday steph and her sister jasmine sharing some of their spine-tingling encounters with the paranormal. Enjoy! Where should we begin with this one? It was late one evening. I was staying up late. Sometimes my most creative and um, personal learning occurs in the wee hours in the morning. So I was probably obsessively working on some kind of wire wrapping thing. And it was about two or three in the morning. And I was just thinking, okay, it's probably to start time to wind it up to bed and things are getting quiet. And occasionally from my sister's room, I could hear like a, a soft moan, but 
certainly not a not a pleasurable moan, <laughs> more of sounding like someone was distressed. And occasionally I could hear the word no. Now I I got the feeling that it was almost like there was somebody else in the bedroom and she was cowering away from it. And I just had this feeling of urgency and like there was something threatening in there with her. And so certainly I approached her bedroom door and just to hear again the moans and make sure I wasn't being untoward. And But no, there certainly was distress and the word no. But my lovely sister keeps her bedroom door locked at night and certainly I probably wouldn't have barged in there anyways. But I knocked on the door and did try the handle, certainly only to find it locked. And I was just thinking... I had this feeling of I need to try and do something, but you know what? And with a few energy studies and spiritual work, there's often the, you can't really do much without consent, but one way you can kind of work around that is you can ask that the person want, if they want to receive something then, and they are so open to it, then, you know, so be it really at that, that moment. So I had just finished a few levels of Reiki and I had known the protection symbol and, you know, certainly a little alone other symbols that we know just from some personal Wiccan and Pagan studies. But so I felt called to draw something on her door and you know, I called to our spirit guides, ancestors, healing angels, anyone that she wanted with her, anyone that she could use with her to be with her in this moment. And I drew the symbol three times and no sooner did I finish the third one and almost go to kind of push it with my essence in through the door, there was a gush of wind and it shook the bedroom door and blew past me, shaking my hair, blowing my hair back, a huge gust of wind and something flew. It felt like something flew right past me and down the hallway through our front door and then the front door shook. If I had just felt that wind, I would have thought on my own without the physicality of the doors, I definitely would have thought that I was crazy. And, you know, I was quite shaken in processing the reality of, did I actually see and hear the doors shake? But it did. It was, it was like a, you know, a window had been opened and a door slammed or something. It was just a huge gust of wind. And, you know, I was quite shaken up and the energy in the room was quite electric afterwards. And I felt like I had to be strong and I had to assert myself. And, you know, even though it seemed like it had left, I just felt like I had to kind of almost own the place in my power. So, you know, I, I made some statements of this is my space and, you know, asking anything that doesn't belong and of an ill intent to certainly be gone and, and not return. But, and uh, I was quite shaken. So, I went to bed thinking, well, we're just going to see about this come the morning. I'm not going to do too much else about this right now. <laughs> Already pretty rattled. And so I get up in the morning and I wanted to ask my sister about it, but I didn't want to insert any of my own experience into it. And so I just said casually, hey, Jazz, how was your, how was your sleep last night? And this is what she told me. So that morning when she asked me that question, I immediately was kind of like, kind of shocked and surprised only because the dream I had the night before was just one of my most intense dreams that I've had. And 
when I was in the dream, it was like everything was calm at first, but all of a sudden I was like transported to this house where I knew that we had to like defeat the entities within it and that we were sort of like these guardians or like protectors. And I remember my brother saying when I was in the dream that the ones in the basement are the worst. And as soon as I like heard that, I immediately like, I felt like I was like kind of the leader in the group. I started giving people roles in the dreams. I remember like giving the sword to my brother or my brother-in-law and giving my sister and my sister-in-law different roles to do, like either protecting us or defending us. And another one was gonna like write what happened. So different roles. And I remember when we started to descend the staircase to the basement, I remember it like slowly like going dark, going darker down the hall. And I remember just getting this like gut instinct like inside that like, this is not gonna be good. Like try as you might, something is gonna go horribly wrong. And then I remember all of a sudden being picked up like something like my spirit guides or something picked me up from this room from going down there and picked, dragged me out of the house. And it was sort of like them saying, no, you may be ready or want this, but you're not ready ultimately. Come back in another time, but right now it's gonna be horrible if you go down there. And I just remember being transported into a calmer dream and feeling okay, but that I want like, I felt that because we didn't do it then, it was gonna be worse later. Just like these strange feelings, I don't know how, but I remember feeling calm and then eventually I woke up, but the next day I felt like drained of energy and like something had like taken my power a little bit, but it could have been worse. Um, and then when my sister asked me about the, the dream, I was just kind of like taken back by it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So certainly then I told her my experience and we were just like, oh my goodness. And we, <laughs> yeah. we were shocked and the... Uh, you know, I got to say, I love the shared experiences because they certainly make me feel less crazy. That's for sure. Yeah. I wonder at what point during Jasmine's dream, did you intervene in the waking world, like drawing the symbol on the door? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like what, yeah. at what point might you have been um, doing that on this side mm -hmm. while, while Jasmine was mm -hmm. in the, in the dream? Wow. That's so fascinating. Well, based on what she had told me, I for certainly felt like, I, I don't know, I would almost approximate me doing that when she was about to go or going down that stairwell. And then yeah, when I finally sent the thing, the things in or whatever she wanted to receive and the thing ran away, probably would have been really close to when she got dragged out. Like, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It was pretty cool to picture like both ends happening at the same time. Yeah. And like that that tiredness the next day I've, I've experienced that too um when i have like dreams that i feel are like on the astral travel kind of spectrum so it's like super drain it's like you didn't even sleep <laughs> i've certainly been to um some cemeteries around halloween every once in a while i'm a little morbid and we like to get together and go do some spirit boxing in the the graveyards at halloween and i remember one particular halloween we went to riverview that's um near near Burnaby and Coquitlam um, side over here. And that's an old hospital that has several buildings. You know, it was almost it's like its own village. There was several buildings and there was one Halloween we wanted to go and 
visit some of the spirits that resided there and if there was any that wanted to pass on or needed comfort to offer and do so but boy the next day i was so silly you know I, it's like i know the things and i know the protections but did i do any of that not really and pretty much just let myself be a battery of to which was definitely drained the next day and felt like almost like my legs were covered in tar or just felt so heavy you know yeah churches come to hear hear the stories as well. Hey, buddy. Did you want to share some of your even more kind of recent experiences here? Or is there anything else that you want to share? Um, And I'll go into mine. um, Anything in particular? (laughs) Or the shadow people? Mm. So I definitely noticed that when late at night when I'm relaxing, and I go into the living room. Usually we turn off all the lights in the house. Sometimes there's one or two on. But when I go out into the living room at night, say it's like between 12 to 3 in the morning, I'll see, I'll first sense an energy, like there's a shift in the environment, sort of like when you go into a darkened room and you know something's there, but you can't see it. I'll get that feeling like I'm either being watched or I'm about to like sense something more. And I'll go out into the living room and sometimes I'll see mist or like white smoke floating and then it'll disappear suddenly. Sometimes, most times it is a dark shadow figures that will start from one side of the room and then move it over. It's very quick. So if you're not like looking for it or aware of the shift in energies or your surroundings and you might miss it. But I definitely hear at, um, sorry, I definitely see them more between like two and three in the morning, um, which makes sense because most of the waking world is asleep at that point. Other things, something kind of recently within the past year that I did hear, one night I was going to bed and usually my sister and I give each other like a hug and say goodnight. Um, and I went to my bedroom and I just had just closed the door and I was about to go to bed and all of a sudden I heard my sister's voice like either call my name or like say what's up girl (laughs) and i go to the door like about to like either give her a hug or be like you know say what's up in return but i open the door and no one's there and like i swear i just heard her voice or something that's sorry immediately something immediately got (laughs) chills down my spine because like i thought it was my sister and it wasn't. And then when I texted her later, she's like, no, I've been in my room this whole time, girl. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, what did I just allow to enter my room? What did yeah. I just welcome in without thinking about it? Cause I just thought it was her. So that was definitely one of my more recent experiences. So the house you guys are in now is pretty active then. There's definitely sick, like periods of it. You know, I find if I if I cleanse the space and set the words, then they usually last around three months or so. And then there's like the shift right in between, right before going into summer, kind of like April to June. And then sometimes like October to, oh, sprinkled throughout the whole winter season, really, I guess. There's, you know, periods of activity, but it's mostly harmless. I, we definitely see shadows a lot. There's occasionally um, some potentially aggressive feeling energies. and uh, But I'd say in the four years we've been here, the aggressive feeling ones have really only been maybe about three, three or four times that I can think of. The other things just feel like they're curious and yeah. they're just kind of checking out on things. 
So, you know, there's certainly has been incidences where um, my husband and I are just about to go to sleep and we're relaxing in bed. And all of a sudden, you know, there's been at least twice we've felt someone sitting on the the edge of the bed and all of a sudden just a weight just depressing on the corner of the bed like someone's just sat on the corner of the bed and uh there was once or twice i'd turn to my husband and he would say oh that's just my uncle john or oh that's just my so-and-so yeah and uh we would feel it for you know the that weight there for any you know anywhere from five ten minutes and then eventually you'd feel the weight lifting like that person had gotten up yeah like they were just visiting you. <laughs> just checking up on things. Yeah. The one cute one in this space and also um, within a few months after one of my cats had passed, um, on this in this house that we were in and before I felt all of a sudden like, you can definitely tell the weight of a person's butt as it were to the weight of like four paws. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just imagine like church <laughs> just like, just jumping up on the bed and just the weight of like something so light like- Aww. Or a little pause. Yeah. And uh, I could feel like like a couple little paws walking over to me, walking up closer. And then they just kind of like stopped right in between Colin and I. And that was one incident too, where I turned to him and he's like, oh, that's just Moonshine or Moranway, one of my other cats that I'd had that had passed in the, in the past. But And uh, then eventually I'd feel the four footprints going back towards the edge of the bed and then hopping off. Aww. And it was wild feeling the weight. Yeah. The depression of the weight of it. And um, occasionally you would see little fleeting shadow legs outside of my bedroom. I have to say I ward my bedroom probably a little bit more strongly than I do the rest of the house. I just have more boundaries in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or I also state those boundaries a little bit more often. It just kind of creeps me out if people are visiting me when I'm sleeping or doing hanky-panky things. I'm just like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> this is not the time to be coming in here. It's not a space for you. So I'm kind of lazy about cleaning the rest of the space. So there are times where it's like I'm going to bed and you can just kind of see under that last like two inches of the space underneath the bedroom door, you know, two legs, shadows, sometimes standing there and then sometimes they're standing there and then they move and then they'll go off. Hmm. I never really feel threatened by them, but yeah, some of it sounds a lot like stuff that's connected to you to you and your family and and not necessarily the space Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. they're your hauntings or spirits or Mm -hmm. there's definitely a potential especially for some people we've we have on family members on either side there have been those that have passed so there's a combination of some of that well i could certainly go into some of my good ones (laughs) from my youth sure um i can we have time for like one or two if they're yeah. If they're relatively okay. quick. Okay. But all yeah. right. One of my favorites. <laughs> the dolls of Reginald Street. Oh, no. <laughs> it blows my mind and I, I admire Amanda so much for being able to house dolls in her home. <laughs> for ever since this these things happened to me, I cannot. I honor them, I respect them. I've definitely visited a few haunted doll museums and paid my respects. Um, but yeah, I could not have them at my home anymore. So I was about seven, eight years old, just on that cusp. And my brother had just been born. We were sharing a room in a townhouse complex in Windsor, Ontario. His crib was on one side of the room and mine was on the other. So if you walked into the bedroom, his crib was on the left and mine was on the right. And there was a dresser right in the middle of us. 
Now his crib being uh, just a newborn, my mom was often able to have the the one um, active side of the crib handle doors closer to the ground as he couldn't really roll over or do anything just yet. So she never had it too high up. And uh, But being so low to the ground, I was almost touching. Yet somehow in the morning times, his stuffed animals that were in his crib previous to the beginning of the night would be on the floor pushed back against the wall under his crib all in a row and my mom would get me to go down there and get them often thinking that I was pulling some kind of prank on her yet it was hard to even pull these out from underneath there and my mom would often ask me if I was doing it in the beginning parts of the night whenever I would try to go to sleep Sometimes I would hear whispering, I would hear movement. If I looked at my dolls, sometimes I would see little hand movements, little eye movements, um, sometimes colors coming off of them. Certainly being a seven-year-old and absolutely terrified, I would just wrap myself in a blanket burrito with a little nose sticking out, you know, just able to breathe, but facing the wall, too terrified to even face the, the middle of the room. And every morning, those stuffed animals that were in his crib would be lined up under them against the wall. Now, I guess there was one night where I was just causing my mom a ruckus and begging and begging her to take these dolls out of my room. And one night she listened and appeased me because I guess I just wasn't having it one particular night, she told me, and I would not go to sleep. So she took all the dolls. There was about 12 of them by this point because my lovely grandmother would get them for me every birthday and Christmas. So there was 12 to 14 of these dolls on my, on our dresser. Well, I just remember one day that the dolls were gone and I never heard a stink from my mom and never knew why all of a sudden I just didn't have to argue with her about these things anymore until I was in my thirties. That Annabelle movie had come out and I was talking to my mom about it and she said, Hey, don't you remember used to all those dolls that Mim had for you? Do you remember those dolls? Yeah, I remember them. And I pretty much grew up after that telling myself that all of that was just my imagination. She said, well, funny thing about all that. So I started to believe you when one night I took them all out, but they were all back on your dresser the next morning. Now, I certainly would not have gotten up out of bed. I was, I, I never, when I was young, I didn't have to go pee in the middle of the night. So I just stayed in a blanket burrito all night <laughs> until there was laid out. Yeah. And yep. She's like, yep. I stopped complaining and I got rid of them all after that one night when they were all back on your dresser after I took them out. Oh, so spooky. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. In my mid thirties, after she told me that, you know, this whole time from seven until like 35, I had thought that a lot of that was my imagination. Yeah. And all of a sudden she says that. And I pretty much had my brain melt and fall apart while I started to think <laughs> not only about that, but so many other experiences that had happened. And maybe if that out of all of the, all of the ones, cause that one is the most crazy, something being able to have the capacity to move something and also not only itself, but something else too, you know, to like a moving a stuffed animal as a doll or however it did it. I don't even know. Yeah. Sometimes I've wondered, like, I've wondered, is a ghost possessing a doll or is the ghost just moving the doll? Who knows? Yeah. But uh, so it did make me question and start to think about all my life experiences after that. <laughs> yeah, especially after years of telling yourself, oh, it's just my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, okay, I have, there's two you could choose from. Shadow okay. person, shadow person story, um, or, or baby. oh, I'm going to skip over Josh as a baby flying off the stairs. And, uh, the, or the one in Bunsen Lake house, the footsteps that, uh, that one, something. okay. That one. So I was 16. My family at the time lived in a house in Bunsen Lake above Coquitlam, BC. It was a duplex that was a rancher style. So there was a basement suite and an upper suite. When we moved in, there were tenants that were living above us, so we would often hear them walking around, talking, laughing. They were in their early 20s, and throughout the, the weeks or weekends, there knew no bounds. There would be parties and people at, at all days and all hours. So whenever we heard things, we didn't really think much of it. My bedroom was on one side of the house, and my mom and my brother and sisters was on the other. And being a concerned parent, my mom, when we moved in, would had me scream from one side of the house and she would stand in the other only to learn that she could hear me to no avail. So occasionally, whenever she was up in the middle of the night, she would come on my side, just check on things, make sure the doors and windows were locked and everything was okay. The place had really thick shag carpeting and I would often hear footsteps coming to my bedroom door late at night. Knowing my mom's concerned antics, I often just thought those footsteps were hers. So one night I need to go to the bathroom early in the morning, probably between two and three. I hear the footsteps coming to my door. So I think, well, I'm going to open it up and just let her know I'm just going to the bathroom and everything's okay. Only I open the door and I hear these footsteps, heavy footsteps coming across thick shag carpeting and no one's there, but they're coming closer. I look longingly at the bathroom thinking if I can just run, I might make it. <laughs> I thought, no, I'm too chicken because I'd have to run through a little bare portion of the intersection. And the way it was coming closer, I thought we'd almost meet. So I thought, no, I'm too scared. So I closed my bedroom door and I sat against it, putting my weight against the door. So if it was going to come in, I, it couldn't, <laughs> I felt it wouldn't come in. But they just came and stopped at my bedroom door like they did every night previous to that. And I looked at the door handle thinking, please don't move or else I'm probably going to pee myself because I have to go so bad right now. And thank goodness the door handle did not jingle and what felt like forever, but was probably only a few minutes. I eventually got the courage to just go and sit on my bed, but the light on, wrap my blankets around me, just like I was a kid, but sitting, I eventually passed out like that. Often around two or three in the morning above my room, I would hear laughter and voices coming from the room above me. And like I said, we often thought that they were just a young couple and their roommate that was living up there until they moved out. And I would still hear the laughter and voices coming from my room late at night. And they happened shortly after the footsteps that particular evening. I couldn't sleep. I eventually just stayed sitting in this weird, almost meditative Buddha position with a blanket wrapped around me and half fell asleep. In the morning, I approached my mother and told her about the footsteps and the laughter. And she said, it's been months since I've come and checked on you in the middle of the night, yet I'd been hearing them most evenings. We told the landlord about the voices and laughter. She came over one day and we all investigated together as she was a bit of an elderly woman. And I guess she grew up in the home with her parents and rented it out when she became older and inherited the home as she already had her own space. So she rented it out. 
So, but she didn't want to go and check it out by herself. So all three of us women in various ages, definitely maiden, mother and crone <laughs> went upstairs, <laughs> checked out the space. And sure enough, all the windows and doors were locked. No signs of break in. She was concerned that maybe ruffians and local teenagers were breaking in at night. And that's what I was hearing. And, but no, nothing. And the room above mine, when we walked into it, was decidedly colder than the rest of the space. It was like walking into a walk-in refrigerator at a restaurant. I know because I've worked in them. Yeah. And I wasn't the only one that thought that. I felt it, thought it. And then the woman said, ooh, it's, you know, it's chilly in here. And so when we told her a bit more of our experiences, she's like, you know what? The only thing I can think, and I don't even know if this would make any sense, she said, was one of her parents uh, was bedridden in their final months before their passing. And their room was the room that was above mine. And the other parent would go and check on them in the middle of the night. And if they were awake, then they would reminisce and tell stories and, you know, just make peace and, and talk. And I never did feel threatened by the voices or the footsteps. And in hearing her story, it almost made it feel like, like it wasn't necessarily an active or conscious ghost, but almost more of like an imprint of something happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like an echo. I, like exactly like an echo it never felt really like it had its own consciousness and it would always do the exact same thing yeah as opposed to other things that i've experienced that definitely they've not been consistent and they're more conscious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting my mom had a friend who was an energy worker and she came in and cleared the home and we partook in the ceremony with her and that was actually my first experience in clearing and made me realize that there there is something that we can do when we have these experiences. We don't have to live with it. And sometimes these energies or or imprints or whatever it is, sometimes they just don't realize what's even going on and we can offer them a chance to move on, as it were. So that that gave me hope. I was sixteen and by then I'd had about five experiences that were all creepy. Yeah. So I, I often felt very powerless. Yeah. And that must have it like made you feel more empowered. Mm-hmm. And that there was things we could do. So certainly between 16 and now almost 40, I've just been nothing but studying all the things that we can do and and trying to make sense of all my experiences. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with me today. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) No, we can, the ones I saved, we could always save for next year. Yeah. (laughs) Or like maybe around July, like july Oween. Frightfully Delightful podcast will always be free, but alas, producing it isn't. Please head over to the podcatcher of your choice to rate, review, and subscribe. And please consider supporting through Patreon. We've added a tier just for our Fridays. That's you, dear listeners. Find all the links you need within our show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening to our disembodied voices. You have our enduring appreciation in this lifetime and the next. All of our good ghosts, great hags, and sacred specters, thank you. On to our next submission. This is Jenny Kay, and this is her story read by Luna. Okay. When my daughter was little, we lived on the island. Um, For context, Vancouver Island, um, for people outside of BC. (laughs) And... When she was about three, 
we went on a tour of Hatley Castle just outside of Victoria. Now this is a known haunted spot we had visited before and in fact were married on the grounds. That's so cool. Yeah. Everybody, you have to look it up, please, because <laughs> it's very cool. After touring the space, including what would have been the staff quarters in the basement, we got into the car to head home. I am a sensitive individual and felt something was off. So weird. The car feels too full. I muttered to my hubby. <laughs> Interesting. Who by this time is used to me and my quirks and basically ignores this. <laughs> Fast forward to that night. We were in my in-law's house fast asleep. And at around 1 a.m., the baby monitor goes off with sounds of a baby crying urgently. Lights flashing the whole bit. I jump up, run to where my daughter is sleeping. She is sound asleep. Head back to our room. Monitor is quiet. I go back to bed. About half an hour later, the same thing. Monitor goes insane. This time, my hubby and I are both woken up and we go to check. She's fast asleep. But this time, when we return to our room, the monitor is still going nuts. We look at each other and then inspect the monitor, but it falls silent. We kind of shrug and go back to bed. Fast forward about an hour, same thing happens. This time, I pick up the monitor to see that it is not plugged in. No, please no, thank you. Moreover, the backup battery compartment was empty. I took the monitor downstairs and put it in the garage. We slept better. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out... My brother-in-law knew a psychic medium at the time, and a ghostly nanny had come home with us and was watching over my daughter for a while. She hung out for a good week until, I guess, we satisfied her in our parenting skills. (laughs) (laughs) Very um, doting nanny. No kidding. Making sure. (laughs) The Hatley Castle website has a link to Craig Derrick Castle, which is interesting. So we'll have to check out the link between them. James Dunsmuir, I think, built this one too. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Deadpool was filmed here. Huh. They have a rose garden, an Italian garden, and a Japanese garden. Hmm. It kind of sounds like, so we have this place near where I live in my hometown called Parkwood Mansion. And it is like a giant billionaire mansion (laughs) that was built. I don't know. This guy had ties to General Motors. Oh, yeah. And um, there's like... They use it, they have like special tea parties there now, and they do a lot of movie filming and stuff there. So it's like, it sounds similar to this place. Very similar. I would like to know if Jenny got married in the Rose Garden, because I want to get married in the Rose Garden. (laughs) I didn't think that I I was a Rose Garden type of witch, but I would do that. That's pretty. Even it it looks a little disheveled. And even in its disheveled state, I'd still do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. It has like this really interesting like vines, but they're all like, they look like they're dead, but you can imagine it being like full bloom. Yeah. And there's like this little, this like rounded terrace that uh, has about six columns and then a little tiny like um how like a it looks like a house but you can see through it so it's like a walkway essentially so you would go through this little like in full bloom i assume that the columns are holding up what is um would be like a like a a roof lattice so the roses would be growing along that roof lattice so you would be walking underneath a canopy of roses yeah gorgeous wow gorgeous so cool so have you like when your children were like when Addie was small and stuff did you guys use baby monitors no 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 um we always lived in spaces that didn't require baby monitors yeah same and i i really couldn't afford them to be honest yeah and the ones that i looked at at like thrift stores and stuff just didn't I was like, there. I just don't find a use for them. Like when Addison started having night terrors at three, they like it was, it was a pretty active area that I lived. Like, and they would wake up in the morning uh, at three o'clock in the morning, just staring in the corner. Oh my crying. god, that's creepy. It was, it was really, it was really fucking, really fucking bad. And I would actually have to like take them out of that room because it just felt. Like at one point I was like, fuck off, <laughs> like, like get out, like stop bothering my kid. So Addison slept with me for a little bit at that stage. Anyways, in those moments, their room specifically felt weird. And at one point there was, I did see something at the end of the hallway. Oof. And it was very tall, very dark. I assumed it was a man, but it did. It, I, yeah. at that time. Yeah. Jenny would like to shout out Raps Animal Rescue in Richmond, BC. Beautiful. The Raps Animal Hospital is a full service, not for profit veterinary facility operated by the Regional Animal Protection Society. With more than two decades of roots in Richmond, first as Richmond Homeless Cats, later as Richmond Animal Protection Society. RAPS changed its name to the Regional Animal Protection Society in 2017 to more accurately reflect the geographical reach of their services. Yeah, they're everywhere. Like they take they take they take animals from everywhere. Wow. As a no-kill animal serving agency, animals come to them from jurisdictions throughout British Columbia where they would be euthanized otherwise. And now we have Chrissy's paranormal encounters. She takes us through so many wicked experiences and we can't wait for you to listen. Where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? Yeah. I guess I'll start from when I was little. Ever since I was a kid, um, elders have always told me I'm a healer and I have gifts, but I never really did anything about it. Mm -hmm. As far back as probably five, six years old, I can remember living in haunted houses we had a piano in one house that would play by itself. We lived in a place where there was like shadow people standing along the wall all the time. Was it a specific wall? 
Yes. Okay. Interesting. And in a different house. Every house I've lived in my entire life has had activity happen. So maybe it's that you are it's not the a medium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think the biggest event that happened when I was young was a week before my grandpa passed away. I knew he was going to pass away. I had like this dream premonition, something. And a week later, my mom got a call from our dad and she didn't have to say anything. I didn't even know who was calling. And I knew that it was my dad telling us that my grandpa had passed. And then I remember I walked into my bedroom and he was standing in my bedroom. Wow. And I immediately ran away. Yeah. (laughs) Which now I feel really bad about (laughs) because I miss him a lot. But yeah, that was one of the biggest events. What else? They have always kind of been able to predict certain things, like knowing people would get engaged or that people were pregnant or just little things like that. And then, of course, my grandpa. So, yeah, really interesting in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very tapped in. <laughs> um, you had mentioned that there was a place up. It, it was up here in Chilliwack, I think. And yes. your partner had like gone down some back roads and uh can you tell us that story yes yes okay so flash forward to like within the past six months i think it was we often like to go up to the chilliwack lake area that's our favorite place to go i've never had any sort of situation happen at all this time was extremely different though we went to a spot a bit further than we normally go and the whole time it just kind of felt like uneasy even the dogs were acting kind of strange and we finally decided to leave and normally I leave the same way all the time but then I thought oh no we'll just keep taking this forestry road and then it just takes you to like a different part of Chilliwack and we were on this road and it felt like an eternity it was never ending we thought we were never going to get off this mountain and I knew we would and it's actually not that long of a drive but it just felt like time was messed up there And we had this panic and fear that was just insane. I've to the point where my husband was afraid too, and I've never seen him afraid. And I kept having the desire to like look in the rear view and make sure the dogs were still in the back seat, like they were just gonna magically disappear. And then we're driving along and on either side of the truck we could see figures standing in the forest. And we were on a forestry road in the middle of nowhere. In them, like it was quite late at night at this point. So there's no people just hanging out, you know, in the trees by themselves. So we kept going and we finally got to pavement. And I physically stopped the truck and I've never done this before. And I said, if anyone's with us, you're not welcome, get out. (laughs) Because I just felt like that something was not right there. Yeah. And I've never done that before in my life. So that was really weird. When you said, like, get out, did you feel like a shift? I kind of felt like I was less afraid. Yeah. But then it stayed with me for a while, even driving home. It probably took about a half hour before I felt like I was okay again. I was driving down the highway, and I know these roads so well. I go there all the time. But I almost felt like I was disoriented and didn't know where I was. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling my husband, I don't know where I am. Where am I? And it was just like the scariest feeling ever. Was he oriented? Like, did he know where you were when you touched base with him? Yes. 
Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> yes. He, he was fearful, but he didn't get like disoriented. Good. Yeah. 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 It was a trip. It is. It's like you went through some kind of weird time blip. Yeah. Oh, it was terrifying. And actually, I kind of fibbed earlier. I forgot there was another thing that happened up the, in that area once. And it was maybe last year. We went up there to watch the meteor shower at like two in the morning. And we parked in this one spot, obviously super dark and isolated. And we were laying in the bed of the truck with the dogs watching. And we could hear whispering and talking all around us. <gasps> and we're like, who is out here? Obviously, no one's out there. And so we packed up and left. And then the next time we went there in the daylight, the exact spot where we had parked, there was a big memorial mound. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, they were watching the meteors with you. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> like, oh, you guys, we have company. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. You went up to, what was it? It was like a haunted location, like up north. Oh, yes. Three Valley Gap Chateau. Three Valley Gap Chateau. That sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> we went there at the beginning of September for our anniversary. Super spooky. Super haunted, for sure. <laughs> My husband, I didn't actually have as much experiences as he did this time, oh. which is really weird. Do you think he did? you sharing yeah yeah he he's fine he tells everyone oh my gosh it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> he saw a ghost standing in a window very clearly not a human being and then the lights so the, he saw the ghost on the top floor then the floor below the light directly under the ghost was like flickering and super bright like not normal he says he saw a ghost mouse which is really bizarre <laughs> He said he was watching this mouse kind of run around on the ground and then it just ran straight into the wall, but there was no holes or cracks or anything anywhere. It just vanished. Weird. That's so interesting. Was this outside or inside? Outside. Outside. Okay. Yeah. And then when we were laying in the bed, something grabbed him, grabbed him on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, going through the actual ghost town there, that's beside the hotel i went into a building i believe it used to be like a brothel type situation and i went upstairs and he didn't come with me in this building for some reason he didn't want to go in so i went in by myself and i could hear snoring huh. and i was in the building by myself <laughs> and obviously like because it's like a brothel there's like bedrooms and stuff yeah and so yeah as i'm walking around i could hear snoring just ladies of the evening taking naps yeah. in between. Maybe, maybe the guys. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's really good. The ghost in the window is really cool too because it sounds kind of like it was like getting its energy from the light below. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Now that you say that, I didn't put that together. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to share with the rest of the Fridays? I mean, I have so many ghost encounters. I could probably talk all day, but <laughs> maybe I'll tell you like a couple more things. The house we're in currently is well, super, super haunted. We had, we've had various tenants in the basement before. We had this one couple with a toddler and in her bedroom, the TV would like go on and off all the time or the volume would go crazy. 
And she would stand there in her crib and point and say, monster, monster, monster all the time. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then upstairs in our place, my husband had a bottle of Febreze thrown at him <gasps> when we were just standing talking in the living room. One night we were laying in our room just talking or something and I heard some music and I thought, oh, that sounds weird. That sounds like this mix CD I have. And I thought it was just the radio, but then I was like, well, where's the radio coming from? So I went into my craft room, which I hadn't been in in months, and a CD player that you have to physically turn on and put the CD in was turned on and this mix CD I was I had was playing. Oh, wow. And then lots of like shadow figures, things going missing, things messing with the TV. My husband's TV gets messed with all the time. <laughs> and he thinks it's his dad because he still has his dad's ashes. Mm. And so sometimes when things are happening, he'll yell at his dad. He'll be like, dad, F off. <laughs> and it'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So never a dull moment here. When we were actually at the chateau, my husband's best friend lives in our basement suite. And he said while we were gone the whole time, he could hear footsteps like crazy upstairs to the point where he got up and came to check upstairs because it wasn't dog footsteps, he said. It was like human, like he thought someone came here. Wow. Yeah. And the dogs, his dog downstairs and our dogs and cat, they're just always like, we were watching TV in bed last night and our dog just kept staring and he just looked so crazy, but he wouldn't stop staring. <laughs> and we're like, stop, Billy. He's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, always lots of activity. And then I recently found out, I can't remember who it was. I think one of my elders. And they're like, no, the houses aren't haunted. It's you. <laughs> like even at work, I worked on this one floor and they didn't want to work with me because they said I brought around dead people, which I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. But it's also it's also a really, a really beautiful, especially in this day and age to be connected to the other realm in that way. Right. Yeah. And, like, I think that's fucking beautiful, Chrissy. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I kind of love it. Yeah. Especially now that I kind of understand it more. I suffered with extreme anxiety for years. Like, sometimes I couldn't even leave the house. Yeah. And once I started getting help with that, I started seeing Aiden and Sarah, um, and then coming to Phoenix, of course. And then I started mm -hmm. kind of understanding what was going on. And um, Sarah specifically gave me a lot of tools to calm myself down and now I get it like it's not my energy it's someone else's and yes things like for years the doctors thought I was a hypochondriac I would go in to the doctor constantly I have this I have that they did every test in the world on me there's nothing wrong with you and then I found out after it's because it's not my energy it's other people's energy it's other people's symptoms mm -hmm. and I just didn't know how to get rid of them so yeah I find it fascinating but yeah my coworkers not so much <laughs> um yeah i've seen lots at work as well and they're just not they don't want anything to do with it you're in the healthcare field yes. right yes yeah which is i find that people in the healthcare field are naturally drawn to liminality yeah. as well mm -hmm. like those like lim like because the hospital like a hospital environment is kind of like a liminal space right, right. like it's that like uh well to unwell mm -hmm. right like oscillating all the time so yeah. i think that it's very interesting that you're in that field yes i shouldn't be but i still am 
<laughs> I get yeah. scolded all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but when you're when you're drawn to something like that, especially in like a service field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What else? I kind of had a neat story like from two years ago. We were driving to Manning Park. I think it was kind of still when you weren't supposed to go anywhere. And um, <laughs> we decided to go for a drive. And um, normally, like I said, we go to Chilliwack or whatever up to like Whistler area. And this time I said, well, why don't we go to Manning Park? We'll drive like partway through and then turn around and come home. And I had wanted to leave at the, like as soon as possible in the morning, like when we woke up. But then I kind of felt like, no, no, I'm just going to be lazy. And then at like two o'clock in the afternoon, I was like, well, let's, let's still go. And so we packed up the dogs and we went and we're driving along and we were talking about hitchhikers. <laughs> and then we see this like big, huge plume of smoke in the distance and we get to it and it's this vehicle broken down and we had said we don't pick up hitchhikers like i'm just not about that Mm -hmm. and um so we drove past these people then we felt really guilty because there's no cell service there you're in the middle of nowhere in manning park so we went back and it was a young couple they blew something on their truck and they're like oh well where are you going we're like we don't have a destination we're just driving and they're like okay we're like we just do that like <laughs> and so we're like, can we take you somewhere? And they're like, sure. And I um, can't remember where they said Princeton or whatever. I can't figure out which place is closest. But then they decided they um, wanted to go to Carameas. Okay, fine. So we drove them to Carameas and they ended up being dropped off a block away from our elder's house. Oh. And so we messaged her and she's like, oh my gosh, you guys have such Indian timing showing up at dinner unannounced. <laughs> and so um we went over there and had a great talk with her and she was saying that she thinks that we have like a curse she just doesn't understand why all these things are happening to us so she gave us a a bunch of tools and things to do and but i was telling her this one story so a couple nights prior to this drive i had been sleeping in the living room at the time watching movies with the dogs or something And I started hearing like this loud humming, like insanely loud. It was driving me crazy. I was going outside trying to figure out what it was. And there's just like nothing that I could see. My husband didn't hear it. So I was just like, what is going on? So I went to sleep. But then when I woke up the next day, I felt like I'd crash landed back into my body. I don't even understand, like, know how to explain the feeling, mm-hmm. but I just felt like I had been like not in my body, and I just like fell back into it. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling her this story, my elder, and she's like, "How do you feel about UFOs?" Yeah. <laughs> and proceeds to tell me that she thinks I had an encounter, which was um, really scary in a way. Yeah, yeah, it was just too much, too much. <laughs> When you start getting into like the UFO encounters, that does tend to kind of be a little bit more intense. Yeah. Than... I can handle ghosts and stuff, but that yeah. kind of freaked me out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we uh, had our little visit there, which was really nice and very unexpected. Obviously, if we hadn't left when we did, we never would have crossed paths. We never would have helped those people. Yeah. And to this day, we're still friends with them. Aww. Like, we just clicked the whole drive. It's like we're sisters. I just love her so much. So That's so lovely. Yeah, it just kind of worked out really great. But when we're leaving, so you can drive back through Manning Park or take the connector. And I was like, I don't want to take the connector. It takes much longer. 
And so we're driving and we get to the point where you either go one way or the other. And something told me, do not take Manning Park. And so we went the connector and then an owl swooped right in front of the truck, like huge. And then we got home safely. The next morning she messaged us, our elder, and she said, as soon as you left, there was a big accident in Manning Park. And I think like maybe it was a rollover. Someone went off the road and. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Wow. Another time where I guess I had an inkling of what I should do. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you didn't want to go the connector, yeah. something in you said, like, you got to go that way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you listened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. I usually do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I try to just like listen to myself and get myself out of situations if I am not feeling okay about them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's most of like kind of like the ghosty stuff. I mean, there's like little things here and there, but those are the big events. Anything else is kind of just like the intuition side and like seeing spirit and hearing spirit. I can tell you one part of one more story. Yeah. And I have a loved one who passed away within the past few years. And I won't share all the details. It's just not my story to tell. Of course. But the bear is um, very important regarding this person. And so on the one-year anniversary of their passing, um, Ty and I went for a long drive. We ended up like somewhere way up past Pemberton at a lake. And so I had some crystals. I did some smudging. And I was talking to this loved one. And I said, just let us know you're okay. If you're okay, then show yourself in bear form. And within five minutes, a bear came. Wow. <gasps> yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you asked, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that instinct to to ask so you can receive. Mm -hmm. That's that's very very special. Thank you for sharing yeah, that with you. us. You're that's, welcome. Thank you for sharing magic. all your stories. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Anytime you want to come back and talk intuition or experience then you're always welcome, yeah. Chrissy. Thank you. I appreciate that. Our next submission is from Momo, our beloved Karina. She is a fantastic Friday, and we are delighted that she chose to share with us her stories. So story number one from Karina's perspective. I've experienced several paranormal events over my lifetime so it was hard to choose which one to share. The one I decided to share was about an apartment we lived in while I was pregnant with my daughter. We moved into the apartment when I was about seven months pregnant. It had two bedrooms, but my mind has blocked out the second bedroom because we never used it. It was going to be the nursery room, but something about it wasn't quite right. It was always cold, and even now my mind can't quite recall what the room looked like at all, only how it made me feel and how we kept the door closed and never went in. Fast forward two months and I go into labor and have my daughter. We bring her home and try to use the crib in that room for her to sleep in. But every time we put her in there and use the baby monitor, it would pick up strange voices. Now I know baby monitors can pick up telephone conversations, but this was different. It sounded like a whispering Ugh. and it would cause my daughter to wake up and cry. Since that room always seemed to be cold and we opted to move her crib into our bedroom. Now she was a colicky baby and was up for several hours every night. I had a rocking chair in the living room. One night, while she was crying especially hard, I was in the rocking chair with her, trying to calm her. She stopped crying and started smiling at something over my shoulder. 
I did not look over my shoulder because I decided I didn't want to know. <laughs> Fast forward a few months, right before we decided to move out, we left our daughter in the living room for a few moments to get something out of the bedroom. When we came back, there was a pencil standing straight up and down on the eraser hand on a bumpy carpet. There is absolutely no way my three to four month old could have done that. Ooh. We decided not to renew our lease after that. <laughs> no kidding. Our next apartment seemed to be spirit free. However, that would change once we moved again. But those stories are for another day. <laughs> so we seem to have a theme going with, with baby monitors and children. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, story two. Anyone who knows me knows that I love visiting cemeteries. It is true. I actually, um, I believe I said that in the last episode too, that Karina loves cemeteries. Yeah. <laughs> One rainy day earlier this year, myself and some friends decided to visit the Fraser Cemetery in New Westminster. Armed with an umbrella and an EMF reader, we decided to go see what we could find and maybe get some graveyard dirt. In the Masonic section, we came across a fairly large headstone where the reader was quite active. Move a few feet in any other direction and the reader would go silent. When I quieted my mind, the thought, this is unfair, flooded my thoughts. The headstone was that of Maud Louisa Black, 1870 to 1883. I went home to do some more research on who this active young spirit was and, that, and what was unfair. An internet search showed that Maud Louisa Black was the 13-year-old daughter of George Black, a well-known businessman in the area in the late 1800s. Maud was with her classmates having a picnic on her father's ranch on the Coquitlam River when one of her friends went in too deep. She went in to save her friend, but did not make it out alive. She got caught beneath a log. However, it was reported her friend was rescued. I was able to find pictures of Maud's mother and father online, and even a drawing of the land parcel where she would have drowned. However, I was unable to find a picture of Maud herself. There are two news articles on her death. Sad drowning accident near New Westminster, the Daily Colonist, Sunday, June 17, 1883. Melancholy accident, drowned in the Coquitlam River, the British Columbian, June 20, 1883 both of which would need to be looked at under microfiche at the Coquitlam Library. I have also included the video of the EMF reader. Needless to say, I look forward to my next visit to a cemetery where I might learn more about those that have come before us. We're going to, we have Karina's blessing to share the photos and her video. So we're going to make a yeah, a quick a quick reel and share it for when this uh, episode is released. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Those are very interesting yeah. observations from the cemetery. And I'm really glad that there was some extra research that was able to get dug into a little bit. Yeah, because you don't always have kind of stuff like that, right? So no, it's interesting that Karina's experiences while there, um, she was able to find like research supporting those experiences. Yeah, and shout out her mediumship skills too. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a really yeah. cool experience. Very cool. Yeah. This I believe is when um you were here. Remember we were we were gonna go to oh. to this 
Mm-hmm. Oh, now just, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we had we packed so much yeah. into that week. Yeah. And we did end up seeing Karina. So yeah. that's yeah. We just I mean, when you have to move here. That's I just know. that's just it. You you're moving here so that we can spend the day in cemeteries and yeah. you know, find Mm-hmm. hallowed pumpkin trees yes yes please <laughs> yes please karina wants to shout out a wonderful small business called willow and sage which is wild crafted and artisan herbal teas oils bombs and salts you can find willow and sage on instagram at willow and underscore sage This entrepreneur is very lovely. I actually got a chance to meet her in September when I was a practitioner at Phoenix. Mm -hmm. She was set up at the apothecary and she has some wonderful, oh no, this was, this would have been August because Reverend Terry was here. And I remember Reverend Terry telling her that her prices were too cheap. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah. And it's true, like they're for being wild crafted and small batched, it is it is extremely affordable. And I think I picked up an Arnica salve and it was it was delicious. I love Arnica for muscle relaxation. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most potent plant and medicinal allies for topically relieving muscle tension and it feels like it just gets right in there, you know? Yeah. So I, I also would recommend Willow and Sage. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, this has been a spooky, a spooky episode. I feel like we should side quest this more often. Yeah. You know? More like listener. Maybe we can do like listener stories and listener experiences like every so often. Have a little series about it. I would love that. Me too. I love experiencing through other people's uh, lenses and perspectives and getting to know the experiences that shape our community yeah. is, is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. This has been a very entertaining and sacred experience within the Frightfully Delightful podcast community. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah. I can't wait to hear the bloopers. (laughs) (laughs) It's like building folklore, like what you were talking about in the beginning. It is. Yeah. I love that. Me too. Yeah. Well, I wish that you see many good ghosts this season, Luna, and all of our Fridays. Yeah. And I I hope that everybody has an enchanted October and not a disenchanted one. (laughs) No, no. I don't I don't know when the 13th would be, you know? You just never know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a fantastic rest of your October. We'll see you for our sa- well, sorry. You'll hear us for our Sawin episode. Mm-hmm. And thank you as always for listening to our disembodied voices over the interwebs. We appreciate and adore you all. Yes, thank you. And thank you, Amanda. Oh, thank you, Luna. Thank you for (laughs) sharing such a wonderful personal folklore tale today. I love writing so much. Me too, I think. 
Yeah, I, I think, think you do. Too. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear something really funny? Yes. I'm pretty sure that us writing a book was what created this community. Remember, we were yeah. like, let's collaborate on writing a shadow work journal. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And look what it's spiraled into. And it comes full circle. Yeah. Different facets of folklore. Yep. Audio, visual, writing. I fucking love it. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I love you so much. I love and you too. The next time I see you, my birthday will have passed. And it's yep. a Friday the 13th this year. So have fucking the best Friday the 13th ever. Yes. Okay. Okay. I love you, Luna. I love you too. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Ooh. Let me find. Now we are recording. Let me find it one more time. <laughs> oh my god! I think the ghosts, the ghosts that we're going to be talking about, are probably like. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I was fucking thanks. Freaky. It's what <laughs> like you know you know those. It's one of those things where you know when like someone is like, oh, so tell me about yourself, and your mind just goes fucking blank. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to me a lot. I've been not- in I've been put in that situation so many times that I literally just will make it so awkward and just like could c- just talk, literally <laughs> just talk. Like you are going to regret. There's a new meme out right now that's like, you ask me that question, I will make you fucking regret ever asking that question <laughs> to anybody else. <laughs> I love it. That's what I aim for every time now. <laughs> oh, it's eleven eleven. Fuck. One second. <gasps> okay. Go. 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 Reading. Reading. I like to read. I've been thinking about this since I started like putting my stuff in the closet. Like back in the closet again. <laughs> Talking spooky shit with my friends. <laughs> oh my god. That's okay, so can you do that again? What? <laughs> do it one more time. Back in the closet again. <laughs> Talking spooky shit with my friends. I love it. Uh, that's 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 the extent of my singing voice. That's so good. <laughs> well done. There's ghosts in the machine. Yeah. <laughs> is that you? What is that? Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wonderful journey through the realms of fright and delight. If you'd like to explore further with us, join us on Instagram at frightfully.delightful. For those who'd love to dig a little deeper and enjoy monthly downloads, explorations, and behind the veil content, we have a Patreon with two different options to feed your curiosity. Check out our page for more details at www.patreon.com slash frightfullydelightful. Until next time, stay curious, weave within the weird, and continue seeking the frightfully delightful moments that make life truly extraordinary.